Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Teamwork A Better Way podcast. I'm Christian Napier, and I am joined from afar by Spencer Horn, my illustrious co-host. Spencer, how are you? I am great, Christian. Good to be with you again this afternoon, coming from uh, from Cincinnati. From WKRP in Cincinnati. Right. Uh, well done. Right. What, what takes you to Cincinnati? Uh-oh. Well... You know we're we're going to go without Christian. We lost the the signal. That's so. What brings me here is I am here talking to a couple of uh, CEO groups and absolutely loving it. And and I'm sure Christian will we'll get, there. He is. We'll get back on here in a second. Um, isn't this fun? There you go. Uh, that's not on you. Uh, my buzzer just completely shut. Like it just. Went out, isn't it? But isn't this great? I mean, so this can is. You guys hear me, all right? Yeah, we can hear you, and this is this is the wonderful thing about technology. It's always exciting, and wonderful things happen. But but, Christian, I have a question for you. you know, we usually talk about food. You know, when we when we start this, and and uh, maybe our guest knows about this, but there's a thing called skyline chili. Have you ever had it? I have not had skyline chili. Tell me about it. So it's a it's a type you know you and I love to go to the red iguana and they have some mole sauces and one of the mole negro has like chocolate in it right well this chili sauce has was was developed by someone who came from Greece and it has chocolate in it as well but they put it on top of spaghetti and then they pile uh, onions and a huge pile of cheese on top of a cheddar cheddar cheese and it's uh, I'm sure it's not the healthiest thing, but it is so, it's so good. And it's like fast food. It's already ready. You order it in like five seconds and it comes to you. And, and my wife and I just, just love that Cincinnati chili. It sounds deliciously dangerous. Or dangerously <laughs> delicious. One or the other. Exactly. So, man, what about you? What's going on with you today? Oh, wow. I'm in the thick of doing uh, interviews with Beijing uh, during the night, my time, because it's the day, their time. And and getting ready for Roots Tech, the world's largest uh, genealogy and family history conference begins tomorrow. And our company, Raconto, has a live session tomorrow at noon mountain time. And uh, we should put a link in our in our um, podcast here for people to join. Uh, it's free to join. Uh, come and, and uh, join a 20-minute session and you can see what we're doing to help people uh, capture, record, and share their family stories. Yeah, it is. It's an amazing platform. You know, Roots Tech is awesome for people to, to kind of connect with their with their families. And, and Raconto is really cool. I, you know, I've, I've had the chance to see it with with my own family. But today I, I'm excited, Christian, for our, our guest today. And uh, I want to tell you a little bit about him. I am. I watched his TEDx talk and it was a lot of fun. Yeah. And, and so let me tell you just a little bit about David uh, Mamano. And during the past 25 years, he is he's a serial entrepreneur, and he has started seven businesses from scratch. And, and you know, he, he talks about starting when he was just a kid, and, and I I'm, I'm really excited. He'll I'm sure he'll tell a little bit about that, uh, figuring out how to how to make money as a as, as a as a child was uh, that's always fun, right? But he is someone that has been three times in uh, Inc. Magazine 5000 Growth Company winner and a two-time TEDx speaker. 
which is which is fabulous because you know that's to, to get on that you you, you got to be able to get to a point and, and and have something that really makes an impact and he's also an adjunct professor at the University of Rochester in New York and he's an author of multiple books and one of the ones I'm, that I I love the title is a book called Crash and Learn right and to me that that's such a, a great concept hopefully we'll hear just a little bit about that and he's he's a graduate of the University of Buffalo and of the MIT Entrepreneurial Master's Program. And he is somebody that is coaching people in business. He works with many business executives. He is an, a podcaster himself, has a show, has people from all over the country and around the world. But uh, And so we're excited today to talk to him about how to become an outstanding uh, young adult. He's actually got a book out there, The 101 Things You Can Do to Become an Outstanding Young Adult. And... One of his books we're going to have to start with, it's a little provocative, is uh, Make Love in, in the Workplace. And so let me, uh, let me bring Mr. David on to, to our uh, screen here. David, welcome. Good to have you. Hey, thanks so much for having me. Really appreciate it. Love your uh, energy, and uh, I'm, I'm ready to have a great conversation. <laughs> So, so talk to us about this idea, make love in the workplace. I mean, today with, with the environment we have, that's, that's, that, that's not very politically correct thing to say, but, but uh, I'd love to hear a little bit about this, this idea because the topic of today is to, to have your people love working with you and love what you do. Yeah, so I wrote the book about a year before that whole, you know, Me Too, um, you know, movement with, you know, Matt Lauer and Charlie Rose and uh, a, bunch, a bunch of other guys that were getting uh, a little too intimate in the workplace, uh, inappropriate. And uh, so when I wrote it, it was really just kind of tongue in cheek. Everybody knows me that, you know, I'm a, I have a, a repeated attempts at humor. Uh, you know, I do stand up comedy as, as a, as a hobby. And, uh, so it was kind of like just to be a, uh, you know, seriously. And I kind of, you know, instigated a lot of, um, uh, strategies to, uh, hire great people, keep great people retention. Um, and, and then also, you know, have it be such a great place to work that it became a marketing tool that more people wanted to work there. Um, so workplace culture became really my number one priority. Because I knew that without a great team, um, I was I was nothing. So uh, so I would I you know I blogged for our local newspaper about workplace culture. Um, I did the TEDx talk called Workplace uh, in the Workplace, um, and then that uh, led to the book. So so t talk to us a little bit about that that workplace culture. I mean, what is your experience as you? have worked with many different companies uh, and started many different companies. Have these been from scratch or are these companies that, that, or have you had the opportunity to go in and consult with other companies that have struggled with that, with that culture? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a um, start from scratch guy. You know, I like to, you know, create the DNA from the beginning. Right. Um, and, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm that startup guy and I get it to a certain point and then I need help. Right. You need, need, need to bring in some strong, um, you know, complimentary people to help me bring it to the next level um, or sell it. I've done that before, too. So, um, you know, uh, so very, um, very focused on starting companies from scratch, building the culture uh, with my standards. Right. With with kind of my flavor of what I think a, a great culture is. Uh, 
I have done some uh, consulting and some speaking with other companies uh, to to try to help them uh, to you know bring their culture to the next level. And uh, you know, it's really interesting during COVID with people. You know, some people want to work from home. Some people want to come back to work. Some people enjoy Zoom. Some people don't. And and so you know, it becomes a challenge slash opportunity uh, to continue to engage. Um, you know, kind of your um, you know, scattered perimeter workforce, right? I mean, they're all over the place now, right? So, uh, so how do you how do you keep that passion going when they're, you know, in their house all day long? I have a question for you, David. And uh, I watched the TED Talk, and I think it's great. And while I was watching it, I was thinking to Thank myself, I, "This is a lot of fun," but I. I'm not this kind of person at all. Like it, it, I, I'm not the fun going outgoing uh, individual. And I'm wondering where all of this came from. Uh, is it just part of your natural personality or are these um, things that you had to consciously cultivate over time uh, with your experience so that you were very deliberate about how you created uh, culture in your companies? Yeah, it's kind of an extension of my playful personality. I mean, I've always been that uh, hyper, excitable, loving, probably ADD entrepreneur. And, you know, I was the class clown. I was the class prankster. Uh, all my teachers definitely, you know, probably still remember me, you know, 30 years later. And uh, I found I was not, you know, not a wallflower. Uh, but I was never mean either, right? I was, I, I always worked to include people and, I was that guy that was friends with the the biggest jock, you know, and the biggest pothead and everywhere in between. Right. So, uh, you know, I was that guy and uh, I was voted friendliest too. So class clown friendliest, I was class president. And uh, so I think it's just in my nature of, you know, this, this gregarious form of love of wanting to make people feel special, feel respected, feel unique. Um, I've been told that, you know, when I'm talking to people, I make them feel like the most important person, you know, in the room. Um, and, and I'm not trying to do that. It just happens. You know, I sincerely um, am interested in people and their stories. And if they want to, helping them, you know, be their best. You know, that gives me joy and energy as well. So helping people be their best. I mean, where did you learn this? Where did it, where did it come from? I mean, you, you talk a lot in, in your stand-up about your early life. But I mean, where do you feel like you, you got this? Well, you know, a lot of it is that I, I want to do it. Uh, and then, you know, so when I to take those skills or, or take that uh, that desire to uh, a level where I can execute, um, you know, I joined um, organizations that uh, where I just learned a ton. You know, I was an EO uh, entrepreneurs organization for 14 years. Right. And uh, loved it. I went to tons of conferences. I read tons of books. And uh, it was very, very helpful to me. You know, Vern Harnish, um, you know, uh, you know the, the book called The Rockefeller Habits changed my business life, right? Another book called uh, Small Giants by Bo Burlingham changed my business life even more. So I, I'm, you know, a constant student uh, of like listening to, you know, great speakers, business owners, reading their books and just saying, hey, I love this idea. I'm going to implement it. And uh, I think that's part of my... Um, skill, I think, is not really deliberating too much. If I have an idea uh, or if I learn something or hear about something, I would just do it. I would just implement it. You know, like I was talking to a friend of mine who is, uh, uh, he's now. 
he was uh, uh, director of admissions. And uh, what he did for everybody in admissions is he would find out when their kids' birthdays were. And what he would do is uh, he would get a card and he would have everybody in the department sign the card and mail it to the kid with a, um, a gift certificate to the movie theater. And that kid, you know, of course, was so happy, you know, loving where mommy works. And, and so it was just a win-win-win all around. So I, I was like, that's a great idea. You know, you make mommy happy who works for me. You make, you know, her little son, uh, Junior, really happy. You know, Junior tells mommy, I love where you work. Uh, so it just, it just, you know, makes everybody feel good. And it, it really helps to cement uh, an A-plus player into your organization even more by doing small things like that. You know, it's interesting that, you know, as a, as a successful entrepreneur, you don't have to have all the ideas yourself. I mean, you're studying, you're learning from the best, you're sharing those great ideas. And so often we think we have to have the, the you know, the million dollar idea, something that no one else has thought about. But sometimes it's just helping people go to, you know, another level by taking some earlier wisdom and making it yours. Yeah. I mean, I just posted on LinkedIn and Facebook yesterday, or maybe a couple of days ago, uh, the quote, if you're the smartest person in the room, you are in the wrong room. And I think that's exactly what you're saying is, you know, it's, it's okay to be, you know, a, a, a B student business owner and, you know, surround yourself with A's, right? So, and that's what I've done. I mean, I was a, I graduated high school, solid A, right? You know, college 3.0. You know, I didn't win any awards, no dean's list, uh, but I'm smart enough to realize, like, I know what I know and I don't know what I don't know. And I know that I need to surround myself with people that are going to help me bring everything to the next level. Uh, David, one thing I was really impressed with, something that you said in your TEDx uh, talk that I watched online, um, I'm paraphrasing here, I don't remember it verbatim, was appreciating was the, the most important need that we have as humans. And and I am, uh, I'm curious how uh, you came to the realization about how important appreciation was. And uh, if you can just give us some examples of uh, small acts of kindness and appreciation that we can do that can really strengthen our teams. Yeah, absolutely. So that uh, I learned from a book and it was called, uh, if you, you guys may remember this book, it's probably 20 years old now or more, but it was called Life's Little Instruction Booklet. And number one is a person's greatest need is to feel appreciated. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. And, uh, and so it doesn't mean you have to buy them a car or give them a thousand dollar bonus time. It's just words like going up to a member of your team and saying like, wow, you know, I wanted to come and personally tell you that I looked at what you did and that was really fantastic. Tell me like, how did you think about doing it that way? Like a simple sentence like that, uh, costs nothing. It takes about five minutes for the conversation to happen, but Something like that could really make somebody's day, week, year, uh, and once again, cement somebody into your organization even more. And you want to be sincere about it too. You know, if the work is crap, you don't want to, you know, say it's good. Uh, <laughs> you know, if it's if it's crap, you might want to say, "Hey, uh, listen, here's what was good about it. Here's what what I was seeing about what could be improved. Let's talk about it." You know, that's that's how you would handle that situation. But I just think sincere appreciation is the number one thing you can do 
to show people uh, appreciation, you know. Um, but, you know, also, too, there's things like, you know, taking them out to breakfast or lunch, just just them and saying like, hey, love your work. I also just want to you know, get to know you a little bit more and kind of get to know them personally a little bit without, you know, you don't have to, uh, you know, uh, be inappropriate about it. Like, the, you know, the uh, uh, what was happening a few years ago. But, uh, you know, but just trying to build a, a solid relationship as as a team, you know, as a team trying to do something great. Uh, little gifts, remembering birthdays, of course, things like that. Do you find, David, that in that appreciation that there is that the, the same things worked with everybody? Or did you find that you had to change your approach based on who you were working with? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, it depends. I mean, I, I think if you ever took that DISC, uh, you know, uh, assessment, you know, I'm a high DI, right? Like I, you know, bring it publicly. Tell me how great it is in front of everybody. Love it, right? You could shower me publicly with love. I'm okay with it. Now you go to a, 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 a C or an S with that. Exactly. And they're going to get, you know, they're going to get really, um, you know, nervous. They're going to maybe go look for the, the plant to hide behind, right? And uh, so, uh, so you, you know, maybe somebody like that, if you know, like, oh, they're, you know, they're a software engineer. They're not don't like, like being the life of the party. Um, you know, uh, maybe just call them in your office and just like, Hey, wow. You know, that, uh, that software, um, app that you just made. Wonderful. I just want to tell you, you know, uh, so you got to know your audience and, uh, and, and be appropriate about, you know, what you're doing for them and, and making sure this, there's not a one size fit all approach. That's, that's a very good point. Um, I, I want to come back some, to something, David, that you mentioned uh, a bit earlier, but you've talked about before, uh, and that is uh, spending time helping your great people become outstanding. Because uh, as you've said before, CEOs sometimes spend an inordinate amount of time helping average people become good and not enough time helping great people become outstanding. And I'm wondering if you could just uh, explain that concept a little bit. Yeah, that's one of my favorite concepts. And, um, you know, and I didn't, I didn't make it up. I learned it once again from books. Uh, but, you know, it's, you know, in my opinion, uh, you know, it's a waste of time trying to take a fair player and making them good or even a good player to make them great. Like you want to make your great players outstanding uh, and, and, and really max out the A players at your organization. Those are the ones that are going to get shit done, as they say, right? Those are the ones that are going to go above and beyond and really, you know, bring in the ideas and the thoughts that you may not have to bring your organization to an amazing level. But if you're spending your time with the lower level players, trying to, you know, bring them from, you know, a, a, a kind of a low level to maybe a medium level, and they're never going to be, you know, outstanding, um, I think that's a waste of your time. And what happens too is the A players, you know, they see you spending time with the lower performers because you think they need help, and then they feel neglected. They're like, "Wow, why is why is you know Spencer spending you know taking uh, uh, you know Susie out to lunch? She hasn't made her quota in a year, 
And meanwhile, I, I have boast, busted my quota every month for two years. And uh, Spencer hasn't taken me out to lunch at all. And you're and Spencer's thinking, well, hey, he's he's doing great. I don't need to spend time with him. Uh, let me go work on these lower performers to help them. Uh, so not only are you wasting your time, in my opinion, with the lower performers, is you're also uh, you know kind of offending uh, the A players, and you don't want them to leave. So in my opinion, unfortunately, it's a little harsh. But you know maybe you don't hire them in the first place. But if you can't train somebody to be an A player, then it's time to move on, right? And you want to do that quickly. So you, know, you, can spend, you can spend the majority of your time with your A players. You know, I, 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 I agree with some of that, and I, you know, I've experienced that where it was like you, you get to earn the time of the executive. It's right. You, you get to earn the uh, – but on the other hand, there's, it's, it's kind of that Jack Welch school of, you know, call the, the bottom 10% all the time, <laughs> and you're always trying to, to, to bring in, in the, the best operators. But how do you find them? I mean, where are you – you talk about great players. I mean, some organizations right now are just struggling to step. You know, we, we've talked about this a couple of times. You haven't been on our show, but, you know, my son works at UPS. And both Christian and I, growing up, you know, going to college, worked at UPS. And they're like, anybody that can fog a mirror right now, they're hiring. There's just, there's there's no bar whatsoever because they need bodies so desperately and they see what sticks. And, you know, and that's, that's their A player. Yeah. Well, it's tough. I mean, I, I'm in a position now where I'm, I'm, a, I'm a solo entrepreneur and uh, I don't have any full-time employees at this moment, so I don't have to worry about it personally. But I know that, you know, if I was was running a company with multiple employees, it, it would be tough. Uh, and, you know, yeah, maybe you're going to lower the bar just because you, you need to get the work done. Uh, but, you know, you also want to be careful that you're not uh, sacrificing the quality of your work, of your product. Uh, of your standards, of your culture, uh, just to get by, because that may be more long-term detrimental. So you might want to say, well, uh, we might have to do a little less work with less people, but at least our, 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 our quality, our standards, our culture will remain intact uh, because, you know, this is temporary, right? You, you can almost predict in five years, um, you know, there's not going to be enough jobs for people, right? I mean, it's just a, it's a cycle. So I don't think you want to sacrifice everything that you worked for from building a culture uh, just to get through the next couple of years. When you talk about making the workplace fun and it's a place that people want to go to, you know, I come from a sports background and a common sports uh, term that gets thrown around is the player's coach, right? It's the guy that just makes sure that everybody's happy and so on and so forth. And there's a, there's a, a perception out there that the player's coach ultimately doesn't win uh, because the player's coach is too busy satisfying all the needs of his or her players and uh, is not totally focused on winning. So how do you make sure that you translate the fun workplace into a high performing workplace, not just a fun place to work? Uh, no, that's a great question is, you know, it's not going to be animal house all the time, right? I mean, it's, I, I, in my opinion, it's got to be based on performance. You know, it's got to be based on like reaching objectives, reaching milestones, and they could be daily. You know, I, when I had the, the Next Step magazine, we would do a daily huddle and people, everybody had metrics. And, you know, if somebody had reached their metric, there was a reason to celebrate. So, you know, there's certainly, um, you know, time for fun and celebration, but you're right, not all the time. Uh, you know, when the company's not doing well, it doesn't have to be, 
you know, all doom and gloom, but at the same time, it can be more of an engaging workplace to really get the whole team together to, you know, heads down, let's figure this out. Uh, and maybe there's not enough time, right? A lot of time right there for, uh, for jokes and laughter, but at least you're still doing this together as a team and moving through it. You know, what did Winston Churchill say when you're walking through hell, don't stop. So there's certainly a time for fun. There's certainly a time for seriousness, but I would say, you know, strive to have the fun and the rewards, you know, based on, uh, on performance goals. Yeah, no, good, great point. And, you know, if, if you think of a team, as you look at the team's performance, you've got productivity, but you also have the conditions on the team that's, that, that create the sustainability for performance. And that's the positivity that you're talking about. You need to have both. But there are cultures that are all about performance with, with low positivity. It's all about the numbers. And you create burnout, and, and they don't last. But is there a time that that's appropriate? The answer is yes. You've got project-driven deadlines. You've got end-of-the-months, closing the goals, where you've got to grind it out sometimes. But then you can't stay there. And many managers fear the opposite of that, which is, you know, high positivity but low productivity. And that's Animal House. And, you know, you, you need to get there sometimes, too, to let just let the steam out and, and, and celebrate the wins. You know, we don't want to be in low, low ever because you're out of business. But ultimately, we want to get to high, high. And it's not, you know, it, it's challenging to, to really get there. And it takes some, some effort. So hold on. Come and bring it home. So, you know what, it's, it's really been great to, to have you, and there's so much more we get to talk about, but will you, David, you know, you talked about the, the DNA of, uh, of a team that people want to love. You've given us some great knowledge about how to do that, spend time with high performers, uh, you know, treat people sincerely and give them appreciation. What else? I mean, give us a couple of other things that you found really matters where people love their boss they love to come to work and they're making love <clears throat> so to speak at work <laughs> yeah well you know I, I i think it's just finding things that you know are gonna uh make the team feel special give them experiences that they've never had so you know for instance you know when i had the magazine what we would do is we would give people you know an extra week off in addition to their vacation time pto and the extra week was for uh volunteering in the community and it was a whole week and they could take it a half day here, half day there. No one ever did, but they could take it a whole week at a time and they didn't have to take it at all. Some people took it, some people didn't. But just knowing that we offered that uh, was a great recruiting tool, especially for the younger generation, because, you know, they're really into volunteering um, and a great retention tool, because where else are they going to get that? So, you know, coming up with experiences, right? You know, Halloween, we had a Halloween contest. Right. Where, you know, you had to get decked out or, or you stood out. Right. And we had a contest and it was, you know, we we walk across the street in our costumes, which was fun, stopping a little traffic for lunch. And uh, and then we would vote, you know, secret vote on who won, who had the best costume. And that person was a hundred dollar gift certificate to the mall. So, I mean, little things like that. So much fun. And uh, uh, field trips. Remember when we were young, we took field trips, schools. We, we went to like the zoo or the planetarium or something. Uh we uh, we would take, uh, you know, a couple field trips every year. Right. We would go to the museum. We would go to the zoo. We would go. We're in Rochester. We go to the George Eastman House, Eastman Kodak, where he lived. His mansion is now a museum. We had a bocce ball party, uh, you know, so we would take field trips. Uh, and and that was great, too, because, you know, it was a day out of work. 
but if you have a players, you don't have to worry about the work getting done. They'll make it up. Believe me. Uh, and then also too, a lot of times you have people interacting that normally, you know, maybe wouldn't interact because, you know, the advertising salesperson and the software engineer, they're not sitting together. They're not talking too much at work, but Oh my God, they're sitting next to each other at lunch and now they get to talk a little bit. So fun things like that. And it's all about experiences. All right. Well, this has been a fantastic conversation. We're up against it with the time. I could sit here and listen to this all day for hours. I really appreciate you, David, coming on and sharing uh, your experiences and your insights. Uh, so, so appreciated. If people want to learn more about you, the the work that you're doing, or you know, the ideas that you have about building a fun and productive workplace, what's the best way for them to reach out and connect with you? Yeah, well, they go to my website, which is davidmamano.com, M-A-M-M-A-N-O, or they can just email me, you know, david at davidmamano.com. Be happy to do that. Happy to, happy to set up a Zoom call conversation anytime. Okay, on your profile, it says David Gonzo Mamano. Can you, can, can you uh, clarify what that is? Yeah, yeah, so Gonzo is my nickname. Uh, they gave it to me in college. It was my actually my fraternity name, and it stuck. Uh, but, you know, apparently, and, and I think it's still true, uh, I resemble uh, Gonzo the Muppet. My nose has never been deemed as a small one. And uh, so they had some fun naming me Gonzo. So and it, it so my podcast is called The Gonzo Experience, and we're, I still have some fun with that. We, we have that in common, David. I have a prolific proboscis as well. There we go. There we go. We uh, we can smell the coffee yeah, in Brazil company. wherever we are, right? So. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And Spencer, uh, you're in Cincinnati, but uh, I know people can reach out and get in touch with you, and you can help them in so many different ways when it comes to uh, developing their organization. What's the best way for people to contact you? Go to my website, altiumleadership.com. That's A-L-T-I-U-M leadership.com. We actually have a brand new website up just like two days ago, Christian. And and so it's a, it's a little different than, than the last one. Love your, love your feedback. Uh, or email me, spencer at altiumleadership.com. And, and Christian, how do people find you? And Because and, first of all, how do they get a hold of Reconto and learn about you know where you're going to be at the uh, at Roots Tech. All right, well, Raconto, you can visit us at Raconto R A K O N T O dot I O. Raconto is an Esperanto word for story, so the software is all about storytelling and oral history. So please come visit us there. And Roots Tech, you can just go to rootstech.org and you can sign up for free. You can register for free. Last year, they had one and a half million people register for this conference. They're expecting two million. And come visit us. You'll you'll see in Roots Tech. Come visit our our booth and our virtual exhibitor hall at Roots Tech, and uh, and uh, please come and, and join us for our online uh, live session at twelve noon Mountain Time tomorrow. That's Thursday, the third of March, uh, twelve noon Mountain Time. I'd love to see you.